0: ...the month of January recalibrating and reminding ourselves what it is that we are about as a church so that we can go into this new year with a greater sense of intentionality. Um, And I just want to be forthright with you that what we are about as a church is nothing earth-shattering. It's nothing radically new. It is simply what we recognize is what we have been called to do as the body of Christ. When we talk about the church, we're not talking about a building. We're talking about a people. Anybody who is a Christ follower is part of that family, that body of Christ. And we have just wanted to remind ourselves of what it is that we as the family or the church um, have been called to do. And so let's throw our, our purpose statement up on the board. Again, this is nothing earth shattering, and I hope the other 54 iterations of the community of God around this city and around our county would say the same thing. But this is what we are about. Lighthouse Community Church, and you can read this with me, if you can read. Lighthouse Community Church is committed to making disciples who love God, love one another, And love our neighbors. Okay, so our primary focus is making disciples, meaning fully committed followers of Jesus. We're not trying to make disciples of myself or Jeff or Jimmy or or Diane or any other person besides Jesus Christ. He is our Lord. He is our Savior. He is the one we are following and doing life with. And built into our purpose statement of making disciples is also kind of the criteria or the the areas of growth that we recognize. If you're a growing disciple of Jesus Christ, these will be things that you will naturally grow in. Because the reality is that you and I, as we've been talking about, and I still, three years in, I have not broken this yet. Very grateful for that. I'm not even sure if that even does anything. That's not even real wood, so forget it, right? Um. But you and I were each designed to act like a light bulb shining in the darkness. But like any good light bulb, this doesn't work on its own effort. It needs to be plugged into a power source. And so that first area of of loving God, growing in our relationship with God. If we are not screwed tightly into the power source in an abiding way, we can't produce light. But when we do connect in and remain connected, remember I said, we are not like our cell phones. A lot of us approach our relationship with God like a cell phone. I got to plug in for an hour and a half on Sunday. And then off of that charge, I can go out and love people. Or I got to plug in for about 10, 15 minutes in the morning. And then on that charge, I can go and, and we find ourselves burning out, getting a exhausted, not no longer even wanting to be around other people. That's because we're trying to do it by our own effort. But when we remain connected, not just for an hour, not just for a day, but 24 seven, when we recognize that he is here with us, not just when we're sitting in a building, but when we're brushing our teeth, when we're washing dishes, when we are driving to work, when we're sitting in a cubicle, making phone calls, he's with us. Even then when you're at the gym, when you're grabbing coffee, he's with you. So the first area that we want to lean into as a community is continuing to grow in our relationship with God. But there's another thing that will cause a light bulb not to work, and that is if this filament here breaks. We had a couple of of bulbs that we got in the mail from Amazon that are, are this kind of Edison bulb, and a couple of them didn't work because the filament had broken in transit. Um, but you and I were created to take the life-giving energy of our relationship with God and transfer it through kind of the messiness of life together, doing life with one another, walking with one another, spurring one another on, holding one another up when we're exhausted. For, for when, when, when our circumstances eclipse our ability to see God, having somebody next to you go, no, he's still there. <laughs> Don't lose heart. Remember how faithful he's been right? So we were created to do life with one another. But both of those things, while extremely important to a healthy relationship with God, those are not the end in and of themselves. Because if they were, then the moment we place our faith in Jesus Christ, he could just zap us into heaven, right? Because now we have relationship with God and we get to spend eternity with him and with one another worshiping him. So, so what's the point of remaining in this broken world? But the truth is. He has another purpose for us, and that is to shine, to radiate the light of his love into this world. And this is in line with what a disciple is about. Remember, when we talked about three weeks ago, we talked about what a disciple does. A disciple has three goals. To be with their rabbi 24-7, living with them, learning from them, doing what they do. Secondly, to to become like their rabbi they, they would watch what their rabbi did and do it exactly and in that process they would be shaped and molded into the image of their rabbi so that thirdly the ultimate goal is that they could do what their rabbi did that they would be able to then train up another generation of disciples that they would become rabbis or disciples themselves and jesus recognized that he came to be light in fact you, you don't need to turn here But in in John chapter 8, Jesus said this, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I have come into this world to reflect the heart of God to a world to expose some of the ways that people have misunderstood his heart or some of the ways that has gotten buried underneath all of the religious jargon. In fact, if you have a Bible, turn with me to uh, Matthew chapter, where are we going? We're going Matthew chapter 8. Go ahead and turn with me. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the seat back in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, that is your, our gift to you. Please take it home with you. Keep it. <clears throat> but Jesus' life was a, a study. He reflected a heart of God, and it was very countercultural. In fact, even within the Jewish faith, It was very, uh, it was challenging and countercultural because he would go after the untouchables. He would would move towards the hurting. Rather than avoiding them, rather than shunning them, he would move towards them. He would feed the hungry. He would bind up the broken. He would love on the unlovables. And one of my very favorite stories comes right on the heels of, of Jesus in this massive Uh, Sermon on the Mount that he gives. It's one of the most beautiful sermons ever delivered to a a crowd of thousands of people. And after he comes down off the mountain, he's met on that pathway by a man who has a skin disease called leprosy. Now in that day and age, leprosy was far more common than it is today. And it was not only the, the deadening of the nerves and the deadening of the skin to the point where somebody's body was literally falling apart, and they would regularly have parts of them amputated. But it was also culturally debilitating, because when you had leprosy, even within the Jewish faith, you were considered unclean. You were not worthy to go into the temple and to worship God, because your body was breaking down And so they would shun people with leprosy. When when you were walking down the street and you saw somebody with leprosy, first off, they were required, if they were ever around other people, to to yell out, unclean, unclean, just to let people know that they were coming. Sounds like fun, right? And if a a well-meaning Pharisee, somebody who took his faith seriously, saw somebody with leprosy, They would cross to the other side of the street and pass as quickly as possible. That was culturally expected. Because if they were to even touch that leper, they would automatically be made unclean or ceremonially unclean. And they would have to go through a whole series of cleansing things and prayers and sacrifices just to be worthy to enter into the temple. That's the cultural milieu that Jesus runs smack dab into when this man on the side of the road goes, Jesus... If you are worthy, you can make me clean. If you're willing, not if you're worthy. If you are willing, Jesus, you can make me clean. Now look at how Jesus responds to him. This is, there's a reason why this is one of my very favorite moments in his entire ministry. Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the man. Now in that culture, I can just imagine with this throng of people from the Sermon on the Mount that he's just given, there would have been an audible gasp. As Rabbi Jesus reaches out and touches a man, thereby making himself ceremonially unclean. I was a tongue twister. Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the man and he said, I am willing. Be clean. What I love about this is Jesus recognized it wasn't just the skin disease that was destroying him. It was the isolation. And in touching him, it cost Jesus something socially. But in touching him, he not only returned health to his body, he returned dignity to this man who had been isolated and shunned by his culture. Do you see how countercultural Jesus lived? He radiated God's love because the the religious rules would have said, you get away from this person. And Jesus said, that's never been the heart of my father, God. My father moved towards the untouchables. He he has bound up the broken, and that's what I'm going to be about. So much so that Jesus shined most brightly when he gave his own life for a bunch of unclean, despicable, untouchables like us who had sinned and fallen short of God's glory. He intentionally and willingly walked to the cross and took upon himself the penalty that was due us. And that one brilliant flash of love has radiated and reverberated throughout history which is why we've taken a, an implement of torture and death and used it as a symbol of hope. He completely reframed our idea of the cross. And on the heels of that, Jesus recognized, I'm not going to be here forever. I'm not going to continue to be walking in the flesh, you know, for the for the next millennia. And so as he was going about his public ministry, he was also pouring into others that could perpetuate the heart, could continue to act as as lights in the darkness. And in fact, just a couple of chapters before we read about this story, in chapter 5, go ahead and turn back there. Right at the beginning of his Sermon on the Mount, as Jesus was addressing the crowds... He looked right at his disciples who were right at his feet, which is where a disciple would typically sit when you're learning from a rabbi. He looked right at his disciples and he said this in chapter 5, verse 14. You are the light of the world. I may have come to be the light, but now you, my disciples, are the light of the world. And a town built on a hill can't be hidden, right? it's, It's a beacon of hope. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl to try to hide the light. No, instead they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before others that they might see your good deeds and not glorify you, that they might see your good deeds and glorify the Father in heaven. Our lives should shine as a beacon of hope Not so that people would be drawn to us and find their hope in us, but they would find the hope from the one who has given us hope. That the love that we extend to people would be an overflow of the love that is already being poured into our hearts from our ongoing connection to our fathers. Is this making sense? And by the way, this is not just a commissioning for pastors and missionaries. This isn't just for people who are full-time Uh, salaried employees of the church. This is a commissioning for every man, woman, and child who says, Jesus, I want you to be my Savior and I want you to be my Lord and I want to follow you. Every single one of us has been commissioned to shine as a beacon of hope that draws people back to our Father, which is a really good thing. Because this week, as I was thinking about the kind of ministry that is taking place, the way that the love of God is radiating beyond the walls of this church, I was struck by how much of it, the vast majority of it, is being done by people who are not on staff at this church. I think of the the 14 life groups that we have meeting throughout the week. Every single one of those life groups, which is the heartbeat of our church, it's the backbone of how we train up and 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 sharpen and refine and do life together every single one of those 14 life groups is led by a volunteer i'm grateful for it because there's no way jeff and i could be at every one of those groups nor would that be healthy i think of my little sister bella my friend who's in high school who is is not only a junior in her high school but she is the head of her fellowship of christian athletes group and every couple of weeks when they gather together she Gets to share testimony, come alongside her, her schoolmates and minister as a, a, a beacon of hope in that school in ways that Jeff and I or Jimmy never would be allowed to. We would never be allowed to step foot on that campus in this cultural kind of season and speak with the same sort of openness that our, that Bella is able to. I think of Nathan who is representing God over at Pacifica High School as he, as he coaches soccer. Right? And loving on those kids that he's coming into contact with. Um, I I think of my buddy Charlie here, who (laughs) takes his responsibility on the welcome team very, very seriously. So much so that every Sunday he puts a bowl of water out for dogs that just happen to be passing by, just being welcoming. And you might go, that's a little thing. Yeah, it might be little. But a couple weeks ago, I'm down on, on Balboa Island. My, my wife and I and the kids were going to go for a walk around the island. And we're, so we're sitting in front of Starbucks. Kathy's getting coffee, of course. Ethan is begging to have coffee because he wants to be an adult. I'm like, I'm naturally caffeinated. I don't eat anything. I'll just sit out here. And I, get, I strike up a conversation with, with a guy with a dog. Um, just what kind of dog is it? you know? And as we are sharing stories, he finds out I'm a pastor here at Lighthouse. And he goes... Lighthouse, that's, that, that's the church that, like, puts the bowl of water out every week, right? Like, I walk by there. Every Sunday, we stop for water. Man, I've been meaning to stop in there sometime. I'm like, any time. I'll tell Charlie. So, that Charlie, good job, right? It matters. We're radiating love. I think of Tony Pekka. Guy has been retired from the fire department for decades, and yet he is more busy than most of us with full-time jobs. It seems like every time I call him... Um, And I'm usually calling him to help with something. Every time I call him, he's on his way or already at some widow's home helping out because a a heater has gone out or her hot water heater or something, and he's there fixing something. And every Sunday, he and a small group of you head over to the Alzheimer's um, home and love on and teach the gospel in a place that most people would say, they're not going to remember what the heck you said. You could just teach the same thing week after week. And yet, they're lovingly doing it, pouring themselves into those lives for people who are often forgotten. I think of Byron and Diane just this week. I mean, here's another couple who have been retired for quite a while, and yet they are so busy reflecting the love of God in our, our community. Just this week on a, a Thursday, uh, I looked out the window just as the kids were about ready to cross the street, and there was a woman who was clearly homeless. She had a, a, a stroller, not with a baby, but full of her earthly possessions. And a dog on a a little length of rope tied to it and and laying on a blanket. And I'm going, I should probably go out there because the kids are going to start coming across. And I'm, you know, just see if we can help. And just as I'm looking, I see Byron walk up and start interacting with her. And I think to myself, oh, we're good. No, she's fine. She's in good hands. Turns out this woman... um, really needed to get down to Laguna Beach because there was a, a shelter that would not only give her a place to stay, but her dog, who was her, only, her, her closest companion and her, her protection, was allowed to be there as well. And so Byron grabs his wife, Diane, and the two of them say, hey, we'll give you a ride down there. They take the woman over to, to get some food first and they take her to a store and they buy her a new leash so that she doesn't have to use that length of rope to hold her dog. And they take her down there because that's the kind of people they are radiating the love of God. And I don't share this with you to steal jewels from their crown, okay? I share this with you simply to say it's happening and I'm so grateful that it's happening with you because we have all been called to do this. We've all been called to radiate light. Not because we're trying to sell something we don't believe, but because we have found hope in Jesus Christ and therefore as his disciples, we want to do what he did. If he bound up the broken, then we want to bind up the broken if he moved towards the untouchables and and, and gave them dignity along with caring for their needs, then we want to do the same. But it's at this point, I think, that many of us kind of tap out. Because we go, okay, wait a minute. You're saying that I need to be like Jesus, but I'm clearly not like Jesus. Let's just be honest here. I mean, Jesus raised the dead back to life. I can't do that. Jesus walked on water. i could just barely trying to keep my head above the water line. Jesus cast out demons. I've got a couple of demons of my own that I'm trying to wrestle with. Jesus intimately knew the heart of his Father God. I have a hard time remembering to read my Bible, let alone understanding what I'm reading in the first place. Anybody would be a better representative of him than me. And with that attitude, we kind of try to tap out and say, God, send someone else. I think in a lot of ways, it it resonates with another guy that we run into in scriptures, a guy named Peter. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke, Luke chapter five. I love this because this is at the very beginning of Jesus's ministry that we're picking up in this story. Jesus is walking along and he comes to um, the, the sea of Galilee. And there's a Another crowd of people following him and and Jesus is planning on teaching them But he needs a way to amplify his voice so that everybody can hear and he he understands that if you speak on the water It'll kind of amplify that and you can speak to everybody that's been following him And he looks over and over on the side of this little alcove are, are two boats. They're fishing boats that have been docked because They've been fishing all night and the, the fishermen are out there tending their nets fixing them preparing them to go fishing the next day it was a little bit of a frustrating night for these fishermen because they had gone out all night and hadn't caught anything well jesus walks up to one of the fishermen a guy named simon peter he says hey um would you let me use your boat and so simon says sure yeah d- jump in he pushes offshore and jesus begins to teach the people after he finishes sharing the good news with them as any rabbi would jesus looks down at simon peter and says hey let's let's Go a little bit further out from shore. And I want you to throw your nets out one more time. (laughs) And Simon's like, you know, I I get you're a rabbi. You probably don't understand um, fishing. And, And keep this in mind for a moment. Keep this in mind. Remember when we talked about discipleship three weeks ago, how I said that kids from the age of six would begin being trained as a disciple. And when they were 10, some of them would be kind of slough off because they just couldn't cut it. And then when they became 14, more of them would slough off and only just a few of them would become invited to become disciples. The others of them would head home and begin being uh, trained or apprenticed under their fathers in the family business. Well, Peter is obviously one of those also rams who, who didn't make it as a disciple because he didn't have what it takes. And so he has now been trained by his father as a fisherman. And, and, and Peter says, Jesus, I understand you, you're a rabbi, you don't get it, but we've been fishing all night and we didn't catch anything. And this is not the best time of day to go fishing. Just ask Jeff. You go at night when it's getting, getting dark. But because you say to do it, I'll do it. That's fine. And he lets down the nets. You know how the story goes. Suddenly, the nets are so full of fish that he's barely able to hold on to it. And as they start filling the boat up, it starts becoming so full of fish that he's like, all right, we need help. James, John, get the other boat, get over here. And they fill that boat up. And when Peter realizes the power, the authority of the man in his boat, he gets down on his knees and and look at what he says in chapter 5, verse 8. Verse 8. He fell down on his knees at Jesus by Jesus and said, "Go away from me, Lord, because I am a sinful man, in that moment, Peter became well aware of his own unworthiness. Not only did I not cut it as a disciple but but I 'm a sinful man, and i 'm obviously around a man who is tremendously holy and has authority the likes of which i've never seen you." Don't, I can he can't even comprehend himself as a disciple of Jesus, let alone somebody who might be used by him to build up and, and spread the gospel. But look how Jesus responds. Jesus responded to him. Don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to fish for people. And so Peter and James and John, his partners, pulled up their boats on shore. They left everything. And they followed Jesus, which means they became his disciples. What I love about this story is that our God has a way of taking the mundane things of life, the things that we think don't really matter, our our jobs that were not spiritual per se, um, the relationships we've had along the way that have come for a time and gone, even the wounds that have been inflicted upon us. God has a way of taking those things and redeeming them and using them to advance his purposes. I think of my buddy Ray Markley, who went to school to be a pastor and then found his way kind of sideways into insurance. <laughs> Different type of insurance, I suppose. And he could look at this and say, well, you know, man, I didn't, I'm not a pastor, but the reality is that Ray is a pastor to people within business he has a very thriving discipleship that he does with other business owners and he has a credibility and an ability to speak into their lives in ways that jeff or i never could because we don't have that same kind of life experience i think of my friend leslie eames who lost her son far far too early and the grief of that was overwhelming but it was not debilitating because Leslie took her grief and after having journeyed through her own process and having people walk alongside of her, she found in that a new purpose to love on and walk with others who are walking through their grief, wherever that might come from. And so she leads our grief share ministries here at our church because she's experienced it and she has a longing to walk with others. She's basically said, God, you can use that and she's walking with other people. I think of Jeannie. And I think of Cindy across the street. Both of whom have struggled because they, they had cancer. Not once, but a couple of times each. And yet that did not therefore preclude them from being used by God. It's not as if they said, okay, I'm done. God's done with me. In fact, that has become an area as they journeyed through that, their own valley of the shadow of death. And they came face to face with their own mortality. They've allowed God to use that to now push them back towards others who are struggling with cancer. And these two women love to seek out others who are struggling with cancer to love on them, to give them hope, and to remind them that God is still with you. You may not be able to see it because of your prognosis, but God is with you and we are with you and we just want to love you through this. That's just a a, a little bit of, of the many, many stories in this room of men and women who have said, God, you can t- use it all. The good, the bad, and the downright <clears throat> ugly. Help yourself to my life to do what you want to do. Radiate your love through me that I might be a light in the darkness directing people back to you. I have an—I—I—I in- I, I, I very vividly remember when I had one of my Peter moments about nine years ago. I'd been a pastor at a church down the street um, and in the process of Pouring out and loving on other people, I had forgotten that before I'm ever a shepherd, I'm first and foremost a sheep, desperately in need of walking with my own shepherd. And so, as I was pouring out, I was pouring out of the dregs of my life. I was basically trying to operate like a cell phone, just a little bit of plug in every once in a while, and then trying to love out on people. And I very quickly burned out. And I felt like a light bulb that was useful for nothing other than to be thrown away. I needed to be replaced. And as I came to the end of my time at that church, because I really had burned out, God in his loving way that he does said, hey, I want you to to come with me. And what felt like walking into a valley of the shadow of death, in hindsight, I realized he was taking me into a green pasture and he was forcing me to lie down because he was about to restore my soul. It took a while, it took about eight months. Of just being with him and resting and allowing him to remind me that I was not what I do. I was not the sum total of all of the people I was ministering to on any given week. That when I read the Bible, I wasn't just reading this for other people's sake so that I could tell them something that they needed to hear. But I needed this for myself. I needed to be nourished. And I needed to remain connected with him 24-7. Well, through that season when it really felt like I had been sidelined and and weighed, measured, and found wanting, I was invited into a, uh, a mentoring track. That just kind of it was it was funny how it happened, but it's a story for another day. But I found myself in this mentoring track that the whole purpose of it was to help you look back at the ways that God had been shaping you over the course of your life, the kind of values that he had begun to, to work into the fabric of your life, to understand who you were or are, so that you could then turn towards the, the things that are in front of you and have a better discernment of how God might want to use you moving forward. The, the promise, and ultimately what was delivered in this, it was an I began to be able to look at the things that were in front of me and have more clarity on what I should say yes to and what I should say no to, which was, I was very grateful for because I had a lot of different options in front of me, but had, I was kind of stymied with how many things there were clamoring for me to say yes to. But everything I said yes to, I'd ultimately be saying no to everything else, and it, I was stuck. And that mentoring track that I went through was so helpful for me. Because it helped me when, I, when all of a sudden my cousin Cliff, who was a part of this church about eight years ago and has since moved to Texas, when my, my cousin Cliff sent me the job description for the associate pastor role here. And I read through it and began to think, I recognize first what what they're looking for is who I am. And I have what, I, I am able to give what they are needing, it sounds like. But I also recognized, having been through this process, what I needed in that process. I needed a relational leader who would walk with me. I needed permission to run at stuff and try new stuff. And I needed permission to fail. Oh, I needed permission to fail because I knew how fallible I was. And I was able to find that here. And so I've been so grateful for these eight years. But that process, those eight months of God rehabilitating my soul and that mentoring process of being able to understand how I'd been shaped so I could make a, a more clear decision on what to say yes to was so integral for me. And you're thinking to yourself right now, what does this have to do with anything, right? Uh, why are you talking about this? And great for you, Eric, that you were able to identify what you were made for. Yay! But what does that have to do with me, right? Right? I don't have my master's in theology. I'm not a, you know, I don't have any interest in ever being a pastor or a missionary. So what does this have to do with me? What has God designed me to do? Because I feel a whole stinking lot like Peter. I'm finding myself in ministry or in areas where I don't even know where I can minister here. What is God calling me to do? I'm a student. What is God calling me to do? I'm retired. Does God have any use for me still? What what am I supposed to do? It's not like I can go get a job. I've got a child. This is a full-time job. It's more than a full-time job, okay? What what am I supposed to do? How am I called to be used by God? Those are tremendously important questions. And there is no one-size-fits-all answer to them. But there are answers. And it is our desire that you would have the opportunity to explore Those answers or or to, to seek those answers out this year so that we can continue to grow as disciples who are growing in our relationship with God with one another so that we ultimately shine as only we can do in our own spheres of influence. And that's why I'm so excited that we are embarking on the missional pathway because the missional pathway is that mentoring track that I got to go through nine years ago. It is something that I have borrowed heavily from in my own ministry. And when I do one-on-one discipleship, it is something that I've leaned into. And I've longed for a long time to invite my entire church family into this process so that you too could become awakened to how God wants to use you here and now and have a better understanding of how he's already been shaping and working into you the things that you need to be able to love people right where you're at. And I'm really grateful that this isn't something that we've just concocted. This is actually something that has been kind of tried and tested over the last two decades. And in fact, I want to introduce you to my friend, Kirk Curlin. Kirk, come on up here. Uh, Kirk has been a mentor to me for the last year and a half. We have been uh, in relationship, we've known one another for far longer than that. But Kirk actually has been leading churches and individuals through the missional pathway for what, 18 years now? yeah all right 18 years there you go um so i i would love for you to share kirk i know that we are not going to be the first church that you've led through this and and also i just want to be very clear that that you are donating your time to us to walk us through why is it that you care so much about this process that you would give of a lot of hours of your time to lead us through this
1: um so i'm going to say it this way um when I get up in the morning and I look at the condition of the United States, the culture around us, it terrifies me. Anybody else? Yeah. yeah. And, um, and I'm 63, and when you're 63, you're old and you're curmudgeon and you see all the negative. Um, but quite honestly, you guys, I believe the only hope for our nation. Is for the church of Jesus Christ to be alive, awake, and influential in in culture. Right? And uh, 18 years ago, I was introduced to this process. If I knew a better way to give my life, to see the church of Jesus Christ become alive, awake, and influential in their communities, I'd be doing that. Um, But I don't know of a better one, a better way to give my life than this. And so, um, Annie and I, we live right down the street here we are supported by dozens of donors who give financially after they tithe to their church after they pay their bills they give to the ministry that we're a part of so that we can come and give ourselves as a gift uh, to you all so I'll be with you for uh, six weekends uh, I'm inviting you to set aside four weekends to be with me over this year um, that's not a big
0: ask but um, well, it's not a big ask if if we understand that how big this can be. It is a large amount of time, but I can tell you as somebody who's walked through it, it is time well spent. And yes, I'm very frustrated. that these, Can we get one of them going? Which one? This one? That one? Whichever one? You just want to talk into my face? We got nothing. The other one. Let's try this. <laughs> this is obviously not one of my giftings, Kurt. Yeah, I got nothing. All right.
1: Yeah, I I talk for a living like you do, so I can talk about
0: it. Okay, so let me ask you this question. Um, Oh, hey, 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 hold on, we got tone. Life, life. It's working. Hey, all right. Okay, so Kurt, you have walked with dozens of other churches through this process. What sort of fruit have you seen come about by uh, this investment of time?
1: Yeah, so I'm going to tell you a couple of my favorite stories. So I'm working with a church, and in the back half of the process— a part that we're going to do in the fall, mm-hmm. um, they discovered they had a number of educators in the congregation, and there were a number of public schools close to them that needed, that were very under, under supported. The parents were too busy in this and that. So this church, um, as a result of our process, adopted a, an elementary school, and they began to go over and be room parents. The whole school had one room parent in the entire school. The PTA had one member, probably the same person. And so the church said, we'll be that. We'll come and do that. And so really difficult job to be a room parent. Uh, but we did it. a lot of retired um, people in the congregation. So they became room parents, did after school tutoring, did a computer lab before school, provided uh, appreciation lunches for the teachers, for the faculty uh, every month, just to say thank you for sowing into these kids and the next generation of our city and did lots of really difficult things like that as a consequence about a year and a half into the process the pastor's phone rang and it was the principal of the school she said you won't believe what's happened our kids test scores jumped on their standardized tests it's never happened in the history of our school and she said i had no idea how it happened so i pulled the faculty together he said pastor my secular public school faculty said it must be those church people. <laughs> since that time, uh, a number of members of the faculty are now Christians who were not following Jesus before. A number of them have found their way into that particular church, although it was never the church's idea to grow itself as a result of their service at the schools. That makes sense mm-hmm. So another church I work with mm-hmm. um, in the, again, in the back half of the process, discovered they have a lot of people who work in law enforcement. And they also discovered there are three prisons within the city limits of their town. And so they chose to adopt the correctional officers at one of those prisons. As they were being toured through the facility for the very first time, the lieutenant leading the tour at one point stopped, spun around and said, I have to tell you, hundreds of ministries have come into the prison Always focused on the inmates. You're the first church that's ever thought, or ministry that's ever thought, to care for our prison guards, our correctional officers. He said that with tears running down his cheeks. A couple years into the process, oh, so they did very difficult things. They baked cookies, brought them into break rooms, gave them they to They
0: also sampled the cookies before they gave them, right?
1: Yeah, 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 all it's that. Important. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's important, important to practice. Quality control. Yep, yep, yeah That's your job, I bet. It is. Yeah, good. So, uh, and then they did these really crazy things. They upped their game and they made cake pops. I have no idea how cake pops work because how do you bake the thing without burning the stick? I haven't figured that out. <laughs> so cake pops, uh, did barbecues in the parking lot at shift change, uh, just to bless the, um, the pr- prison guards and all that. A couple years into the process, the, uh, one of the assistant wardens, uh, said to several of us on my team, um, The environment in the prison is changing. The inmates are different with each other. The correctional officers are different with the inmates. Mm. And the correctional officers are different with one another because of the influence of this church. Mm. The prison was built for 5,000 inmates. They have 8,800. They have 2,200 employees. The church on a full Sunday is smaller than you. 160 adults on a big Sunday. How can 160 people change the lives of 11,000? Jesus. Christ in you and me, the hope of glory. So I want to invite you to be with us on this uh, expedition. You're going to discover how God has shaped you over your lifetime. Whether you're 17 or whether you're 77, God has been at work shaping you all through your life experiences, your failures and your successes, your disasters and your delights to make you His instrument. Now, here's what I know. In most churches, there are a few of you who are already busy, engaged like this, plugged in, right? You're serving like mad. The rest of you love to watch them do it. Mm
0: -hmm. And love to hear the stories of it. Yeah,
1: you do. And I'm here to say, knock it off, get in the game. Mm -hmm. Here's a low-bar, low-risk way for you in the back, you watchers, okay, to get in the uh, delightful game.
0: Yeah.
1: Will you do that? Yeah. Will you do that? Yeah. Awesome. God bless yeah. you. Thank, Thank you sure. so much.
0: Appreciate it. Yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna get an opportunity to spend quite a bit of time with Kirk. He's gonna get to know you. I, I can tell you I love this man and I'm really grateful that he is coming alongside of us to walk us through not just this year but moving forward. Um just so you can kind of understand, can we throw that graphic up just one more time? And in your in your bulletin on the back of your uh kind of upcoming events is the dates of this. Here's how the missional pathway works. The first two weeks of it. Are focused on you individually awaken is all about you beginning to awaken yourself to how god has shaped you Over the course of your life the things he's worked into the fabric of your life Activate is the weekend you come back and you begin to go. Okay, god What do you want me to do with this now that I have a better understanding of who I am? And the values that undergird everything i'm about How do you want to use me? And you will not only be able to leave that day with a very clear purpose statement, but also with some next steps on how to begin intentionally living it out. The six or seven of us that went through this last year to kind of go, okay, is this what we want for our church? All seven of us were like, Not only were we like, yes, the church needs this, but all of us had a better, more clear understanding of what we needed to do in order to be more intentional about living out what God was calling us to do immediately. And I'm talking about both Jeff and I. And Jeff, talk to Jeff if you don't think that this is is for us, because Jeff was the most resistant. I've been through things like this a dozen times. I did this in school. Why am I spending any time here? Yeah, you understand. (laughs) Jeff was the most resistant and vocal person saying, we don't need this. And by the end of it, he's like, oh, we really need this. But I needed this. I needed this. And and this year, the chaplaincy that he's been doing, I believe in large part was prompted as God begins stirring up some of the stuff that was exposed through the Awaken and Activate weekend. Then the, the, those will be the first two conversations. And by the way, we're offering them twice because we recognize some of you won't be able to make it the first time. Some of you will make it to the first one. You'll get sick or life will happen. And so you'll miss the second one. You're like, oh. It's no longer useful. Nope, we got it again. We're offering it again the next two months. So we got a couple of those. And then come September, October, that's when we, after all of you have been able to be kind of awakened to how God wants to use you and and use it as an on-ramp into ministry, once you're activated and saying, okay, I'm no longer going to just sit in the pew and cheer on those in the field who are doing ministry. I want to be used. Then we as a church will begin to assess, okay, God, what have you entrusted to us as a church? And what are the needs that we recognize around us? And then finally, in advance, how do you want to take what you've entrusted to us to do what you want to do beyond the walls of this place? What are you calling us as a community to focus on in 2020 and beyond? The best part of this whole thing is that come the end of this year, we will have a far more clear vision of what we are being called to as a church community than we do now for 2020 and beyond. And we will have come to that together rather than just a few of us on the elder board making that determination. That excites me. So I ask you to prepare for this. I ask you to carve out the time. Now, there are some of you in the seats right now who are going, I'm not sure that I need this. You're feeling a little bit like Jeff. Before we get there, I I just want you to know that this is our big rock for the year. This is not a detour from where we've been going the last few years. It's not in any way a detour from our purpose to make disciples who are loving God and doing life with one another so we can shine. If anything, this is a massive step deeper into this. This is like taking the screw of our commitment to this and just driving it three or four cranks in one year. I'm really excited for this. And because of that, We are everything is being shaped around it. our message series is going to be shaped by this We're going to be talking about our calling and our vocation beginning in a couple of weeks And we're going to do a whole couple of months talking about what were you designed for we are um, We are also going to make some sacrifices this year in saying yes to this and asking you for four weekends of your life we can't say yes to things like the men's and women's retreats because that's how important this is. That's not to say the men's and women's retreats aren't important. We just want this to be the major primary focus. And so those are the sacrifices we're making in order to lean into this. Now, I want to close with this. Um, there's a video. As I, was, as I was kind of prayerfully going, God, how do I articulate what I hope will happen for our church, both as individuals, Gesundheit, but also um, as a church community? What do I hope will happen? God brought a, a video that on, on the surface has absolutely nothing to do with anything we're talking about. But in, it, 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 it encapsulates the heart of what the missional pathway is all about. This is a video of a little girl named Piper. Don't play it just yet. Piper was born with eyes that didn't work perfectly. In fact, the whole world to her was fuzzy. And what we're going to see is a video. It's very brief of her parents putting glasses on her for the first time so that she can finally see clearly for the first time. Let's take a look. Okay, So I've I've watched that clip like a dozen, two dozen times, and it has not gotten old. I love watching her. Now, a couple of things I love about it. First off, did you notice at the very beginning when her mom was trying to put those glasses on for the first time, what is she doing? Oh, cut it out. I don't need those things. That's uncomfortable. What are you doing to me, right? Many of you are feeling that way right now. (laughs) Just like Jeff. I don't need this. No, stop. I don't need this because I'm still in high school. I'm in junior high. It's going to be years before I ever have to move out of my parents' house and think about getting a real job. Why do I care? I retired decades ago. God has no use for me. And besides, have you looked at the amount of time this is going to take? Yes. Yes, it'll take time. Yes, it'll take time. But it is time well spent. I can attest to that. And also, the the argument that you're either too young or too old, just keep in mind the fact that the disciples were almost all teenagers when they were called by Jesus. Look what he did with them. And Moses, Moses was 80 years old when God met him in a burning bush and said, Moses, I want you to let my people go. And he too, by the way, said, no, not me, get somebody else. Aaron would be a much better choice than me, right? He's articulate, I stutter. God's like, no, you're my man. So God can use all of us. It doesn't matter what stage in life you are in. The other thing I love about this is the look on that little girl's face when she finally is able to more clearly see her world, see her mother and her father clearly for the very first time. That look of excitement and joy, I can't wait to see that look on you when you realize what God has designed you for and what he's inviting you into here and now. The other part that it, this has dawned on me this morning when we were watching this to make sure that the video actually played and it didn't look like that Japanese um, kind of kung fu movie like it did last week, right? So, when we were watching this earlier, for the first time, I caught the voice of the parents and the joy in their voices. They were watching their little girl wake up to the world. That she had been living in this whole time and never being able to see the joy of those parents voices I can just imagine The joy of our father god when his kids begin to wake up to the adventure that he has invited each of us into And us as a family into It will bring him joy As we begin to say god here. I am help yourself to me I know who I am. I'm your kid I now see the ways you 've been working with me throughout my entire life, not just in the big mountaintop experiences, but in the mundane stuff and in the in the dark valley of the you know in that dark night of the soul kind of seasons, even then you were there and God now help yourself to all of it. Use me, I promise you it will shape our church, and it will it will help us radiate his love beyond the walls of this place far, far more vividly. so would you please prayerfully? carve out the space to join us beginning in march All right, i'm gonna invite the worship team to come forward and, and we're gonna go ahead and respond to god because he is good and i'm so grateful that our father uses imperfect bulbs like us to shine his love through us so father thank you for loving us thank you for your timing i thank you that though this has been uh, you know something that's been around for a long time i feel like only now are we as a church ready to begin walking together through this pathway. And I pray, Father, that you would do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine as you wake each of us up to the, to the opportunity to join you in what you're already doing and to invite you to use what you've entrusted to us to glorify you and to love on those beyond the walls of this place. To so have your way with us, Jesus, in your name. Amen.